0: You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Trinity Church Denver. To find out more about Trinity, visit our website, trinitychurchdenver.org. Please make your way back to your seats. And uh, if you would please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We'll start this morning uh, with our New Testament reading, John 1, 1 through 1-5. John 1, 1 through 1-5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. Now if you'd turn with me to 1 Samuel 3, 1 through 21. 1 Samuel 3. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days, there was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose sight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And it ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went. And he lay down. And the Lord called again Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end and I will declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall on the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Let's pray. So Father, we pray that you would now, by your Spirit and in your Son, take up this Word, cause it to bear fruit in us, cause it to help us and make us a people who trust you, who love your Word, and most of all, love your appearing in and through your Word. In your name we pray, amen. Uh, one of the perennial or consistent questions in, in talking to non-Christians um, in, in even in observing debates between Christians and non-Christians um, is the protest, the, the, um, the anger at which the, the simple claim, why won't God simply show himself to me? Um, there is a question that um, you will meet in the face of unbelief um, that, that, that is at its heart a question of if God is real. If God is the way He says He is, then then um, why hasn't He appeared to me? Why hasn't I? Why can't I see Him? Um, and then thoughtful Christians then go to places in Scripture, like, like for instance Romans chapter one, but where we see Paul making the argument, establishing um, the the idea that. Um, God is seen through his works, that you can actually understand something of the character of God, the nature of God. Um, You can even understand that God is worthy of all honor and worship um, and gratitude um, simply by beholding the world that he has made. In other words, um, that the average person, you and I, um, Paul actually would say every single one of us, every single person in existence, um, should not simply see mountains and go, oh wow, those are pretty mountains. They shouldn't simply see a sunset, Um, with uh, the kind of pink-orange glory that we get to see here in Colorado and and say something like, man, that's nice. Um, (laughs) But instead, you, you see those things. Every single human being on earth sees things like that and knows, knows. There's a connection between knowing and beholding. You behold that kind of beauty, and you know that, one, there is a God, you know something of what that God is like, that he's strong, that he's creative, that he's glorious. And third, you know something of what is required of you as a creation, as someone who has been made by that God, but namely that he is worthy of worship and honor and glory and obedience. And fourth, this is Paul's argument in Romans one. That those of us who sin against that God, who do not give thanks to this God, but rather um, live out our lives however we see fit, pursuing whatever good we want rather than the good that God has declared to us and given to us are worthy of death. So the question comes, if God is real, why hasn't he shown himself to me? The answer Paul gives, which I think is part of the answer in Romans 1, is He has. Um, When you see mountains, when you see a stream, um, when when you hear the laughter of a child, when you marvel at the sheer number of stars in the sky, and we are surrounded by testimonies, to visible testimonies to the reality of God's existence, the nature of who God is, what he requires of us, and what we deserve because of our rebellion against him. In other words, he's shown us a lot. The text we're going to look at today is one of the texts I was most excited about as we, turn, um, as we began 1 Samuel. And it's because it takes this idea of this question of how does God appear? How is God made visible to people like us? It takes that question, I um, mean, it answers it in a um, surprising and I think actually marvelous way. Um, and so I want us to walk through, first, um, where are we? Like what, What's been going on? Um, kind of reset the stage uh, for, for where we are as we turn to 1 Samuel 3. What's going on in Israel? What's, what's happened in the previous two chapters? Um, and, and then second, I want us to look at what actually unfolds in this story. Um, this is a story that, uh, I don't know why, it was always told in Sunday school, in the church I grew up, with little flannel grams and drawings and you know, all of that. I um, actually want to look very, very closely at a handful of things in this story. I'm um, asking, what does the text say? Then again, like we did last week, what does the text mean? Or is what, it's actually, what is it actually pointing at for us? And then last, how must we live in light of what the text says and what the text means? All right, so that's where we're going. First, um, where are we? So remember last week, a hard word's been given to Eli. Um, God has spoken to Eli um, through, a man, um, uh, uh, through a man bearing the word of God to Eli. Um, and God is going to judge Eli and his sons. He's going to judge Eli's house terribly. Um, he's going to put an end to um, Eli's family's privileged place in the tabernacle um, as priests. And so, um, again, the question comes, why? Well, we need to remember what Eli's sons were doing. And it's not simply the actions. The actions were vile. Um, they are sleeping with uh, the, the virgins who were there to serve at the tabernacle. Um, they're also stealing um, food from the offerings brought to God, not just um, kind of taking what was you know, promised to them in the law um, from the sacrifices we brought. There was um, the, the priests were supposed to be fed by the, the food, the sacrifices brought before God. Um, but Eli's sons are going beyond that and taking what has not been promised to them and given to them. Um, but underneath that, under, underneath those actual kind of surface level actions, which are wicked, um, are actually uh, uh, kind of deeper deeper, deeper meanings in, in terms of what this rebellion is and why it's so wicked. Um, first, just in, in taking of the sacrifices Um, And using um, the tabernacle, the the women who'd come to serve at the tabernacle, using them sexually, um, they are stealing from God. They're robbing from God. Um, They're they're making the worship of Yahweh about them, about their pleasure, about their satisfaction. Um, They are stealing from God. This is blasphemous. The heart of um, what Eli's sons are doing is they are transforming what was meant to be centered on God Um, grounded in God in obedience to all of God's commands um, uh, the action of God's people coming to worship they were taking what was meant to be about God and making it about themselves secondly particularly with regards to sleeping with Tabernacle virgins; those virgins were meant to be a, a visible symbol to the people of Israel, to everyone who gathered in worship, um, that you don't just waltz into the presence of God. Like um, uh, you, 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 God's presence, God's holiness is untouchable. You, you, you don't simply just kind of casually come into the presence of God. Um, there must be blood. There must be an atonement for sin. So they were taking and subverting, even maligning and turning upside down, the very unapproachableness of God by fulfilling their own sexual lusts. You'll remember back behind all of this, before last week, we had Hannah pleading with God for a child, being given a child named Samuel, um, and then this glorious prayer Uh, That that, that Hannah prays in the presence of God, um, giving thanks to God for his kindness. And we find there not simply a mom um, um, who was barren, who was hoping to have a child, and finds herself fulfilled by having a child. Um, Embedded in that prayer is a hope for all of Israel and for the nation's. She sees kind of the um, fulfilling of this request of God that God would give her a child, that child is Samuel. Um, and she gives that Samuel to, um, to the tabernacle, servants to the tabernacle with Eli. Um, she sees the coming of this child named Samuel, not merely as great, she couldn't have a baby and now she does. She actually sees it as um, the coming fulfillment of the promises of God, that God is establishing his kingdom, a king who will reign and rule forever, um, that God is uh, destroying wickedness and rebellion. Um, he is casting down even the Philistines who lord over Israel during this time. So she takes Samuel to live with Eli, and he lives with Eli's family, and I was helped this week by talking to a sister who pointed out, like, the insane difficulty that this must have been for Hannah. Like, the text tells us that everybody's talking about what Eli, Eli's sons are doing. Remember that? And here's Hannah having made a promise, sworn a vow to God, that she would give um, her son to, to live at the tabernacle, to work and serve at the tabernacle. And she's handing her son over into that family, knowing all the rumors, all the stories, all the accounts of the wickedness that's at work there. So that's where we find ourselves as we arrive at chapter three. Israel is on the brink of complete and utter darkness. The tabernacle, worship there is maligned and twisted and corrupted by wicked sons and a negligent father. And then, in verse 1, we have the boy, Samuel, ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. What's that word, ministering to the Lord? Um, It likely just means cleaning up the tabernacle. It means making sure things are in order, making sure the candles that need to stay lit, stay lit. It means um, not serving as a priest. We know he's not a priest yet, um, and, and yet doing some of the work to just facilitate um, the worship of Yahweh at the tabernacle. So you have Samuel, um, probably, um, you shouldn't think of him as like a little eight-year-old boy, um, just given kind of how ages and how timelines work. You should guess to see him as probably a late adolescent Um, late teens, early 20s at this point. Not a priest but ministering or worshiping the Lord in the presence of Eli. Um, Worship in the tabernacle system was a lot of work. It it wasn't just come and have some lights and lasers uh, and sing. It was kill something and gut it, butcher it. It was clean it up after you're done. It was light a candle. It was move the candles. It was um, clean up the tents because you know, blood splatters and gets all over the tent. Um, it was just a lot of work, and so we here have t- Samuel ministering to the Lord, serving the Lord, worshiping the Lord in the presence of Eli, under Eli's tutelage and care. And then I want you to see something here in verse two, or sorry verse into verse one, and that's, I think key to understanding what God is actually up to in all of Samuel. In fact, I would say it's paradigmatic for the work that God is up to in these, in this one big book, First and Second Samuel. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. So, the author wants us to see that the word of the Lord was rare. King James says it was precious. <laughs> It was hard to come by. The declaration of the very words of God were rare. There was no frequent vision. There's a connection here in this text that the same connection is going to be made at the end of the chapter, kind of book ending on what God does in this chapter. Um, There's a connection between how do you behold God? It's through the word of the Lord. How do you see? Well, the way you see God, see the coming of God's words. So there is in this text, the word of the Lord is rare, and the result is there is no frequent vision. No one hears God's words, and so there are no visions of who God is. Connection there. Let's keep going until we get to the end and the, how that connection then is reversed for us. Um, verse seven, um, uh, you have this kind of humorous story. Samuel's asleep, um, and as Samuel's sleeping, uh, the Lord calls out to Samuel. Samuel thinks it's Eli, so he gets up, runs over to Eli, says, "Here am I? You called me." He was like, "You didn't call. I didn't call you. Go back to sleep." Um, parents of young children can maybe resonate with this story over and over again. Mom, dad, whatever reason they tend to go to mom, dad just gruffly rolls over and says, go back to bed. Uh, (laughs) um, This story of a child going again and again and again uh, to Eli. um, And it says, and it tells us interestingly, now verse seven, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Get this just for a second. Situationally, here is a young man serving in the tabernacle, facilitating the worship of God in the tabernacle, participating in the worship of God in the tabernacle, serving right beside Eli, Eli's sons, the priests. I was there directing and supposed to be instructing the people of God, regarding the law of God and the word of God given to God's people. Um, In other words, he's showing up on Sundays over and over and over again. He's singing the songs, maybe with skill. Maybe some of you sing with skill. He is, uh, he's saying his prayers. He's doing all of this stuff and yet he does not yet know the Lord. He hasn't heard, he hasn't received the word of the Lord yet. So when the, God himself calls to him. He doesn't recognize this voice. Then finally Eli instructs him, kind of figures out what's going on and says, Eli, no, no, this is God. Um, Tell him that you're listening to him. And so then the word of the Lord comes to Samuel. God speaks to him. And I want you to just consider for a moment the difficulty of this word. God comes and speaks to Samuel. He directs Samuel. And when he speaks to Samuel, he promises him, hey, this family that you're living with, this family that, um, and, and please imagine this for a second like horrible evil happening, corruption of worship in the tabernacle, and yet these are the people he's living with, worshiping with, cleaning the dishes with. This is his family. And the word of the Lord comes to Samuel and he says, I'm going to destroy them. There'll be no atonement for their sins. I'm done. So that word comes. Then morning comes. text points out that he opens the doors of the house of the Lord. And then the text ends in verse 21. Look at this. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And then chapter 4, verse 1, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. So there's the story, front to back. Now, what does it mean? What should we hear in this text and see in this text? First, you can minister in the Lord's presence. In other words, you can bring your offerings. You can sing the songs. You can pray. You can um, learn how to uh, pick up after the service. You, You can maybe even Um, read your Bible occasionally, you can kind of check off the boxes of ministering in the presence of the Lord, of worshiping the Lord, and never know God. Never have encountered his word. Never had your kind of plastic, perfect picture of like what God must be like in your head Utterly disrupted and disturbed by the word of the Lord. Samuel is ministering in the presence of God, and so here he doesn't know God yet. Until God's word comes to him. Do you see the disturbing nature of this word? The disruptive nature of this word. So the first thing I pray that you would see in this text is you can just grow up around Christianity and around the church. You can be authentically serving the Lord and this is all good insofar as it goes. But but you must encounter, hear, be disrupted and disturbed by the word of God in order to know the Lord. Second, the word of the Lord and the appearance of the Lord. I want you to listen again to verse 21. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. This is what I was getting at in our original stories. We were talking about Romans 1. How does God appear? How are we to see what He's like? Um, uh, maybe you're in this church and you long to see God. What Is he like? Who is he? What does he look like? Well, well, there is a connection in this text that says, how does the Lord appear? He appears through the word of the Lord. There's a connection between seeing God and hearing God. I hear God speak through his word, and I behold him as he is. Now, there are vast implications of this, The one I pray would be at the center of our life as a church is that you exist above everything else to see and to know and to marvel at and to worship in response to God. My prayer when you go to the Bible is not first and foremost that you get practical instructions about your day, but rather that you would go to this text and be stunned. No, you'd be shocked. Again and again and again as you see God as He is. Second Corinthians 3:18 says, "We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being changed into His likeness, one degree of glory to another. And that, that verse comes at the end of a description of what happens when people read the Bible. When unbelief reads the Bible, there's a veil. When people turn to the Lord, when belief reads the Bible, they behold God. And the result of beholding God, of seeing what he's like, of seeing his character, hearing his promises, trembling before his judgments, marveling at the wisdom of his law, or chafing even in in the face of that law. The first thing that must happen is not, how do I go do this? That question is vital and necessary, but it better be the second question. The first question that should drive you as you open the text is to say, what must he be like? Who is this God? The Lord appeared by the word of the Lord. How must you see God? How can your neighbors see God? Um, they must come to this word and see him. So the second thing, you can be a minister to the Lord and yet not know the Lord. Secondly, oh, that you would see God by the word of the Lord. Not through your sentiment, not through mere emotions, not even through your own reasoning, but by going to the word of the Lord, and there God appears. He's seen. The result of seeing God is that you should worship God, you should trust God, you should repent of your sin, you should cry out for mercy, you should delight in God, you should tremble before God. And if what the rest of the Bible says about human nature and the effects of sin is true, you will be disturbed and unsettled by God. God. there is a pattern of discipleship in um that 's very very popular in the American church in which um because we have elevated sentiment um above scripture above what is true um we come to a text or we come to a truth about theology or a declaration of something about God and rather than submitting to that truth, submitting to that word, believing that word, instead because we're unsettled, because we're uncomfortable, because it doesn't sit right emotionally for us or it maybe doesn't sit right emotionally for those um, for, before whom we might be embarrassed if they heard that we actually believe this. Um, that they're, uh, Because we've elevated sentiment or we've elevated other people's sentiment Um, We just avoid those parts of the scriptures or we deny them altogether. I hope you see why, in the light of what this text is connecting for us between the word of the Lord and a vision of God, why doing that is suicidal and folly. If you avoid... Texts because they make you uncomfortable. If you avoid laws and commandments and judgments um, because they seem unsettling to you, or they might be embarrassing to you in front of someone else, um, you're not just kind of avoiding delicate parts of theology, you're actually maligning, twisting, blaspheming the image of God Himself. You must see God. But I pray that he would be able to say with Lewis, "Oh, give me God, not my idea of God, not my neighbor's idea of God, but give me the God who is there." Francis Schaeffer's phenomenal book: <laughs> "The God who is there, and he is not silent. So the appearance of the Lord, the vision of the Lord, if you want to see God, which you must see him so that you might be changed by him, means you must come to this word. It is given and he is seen only by the word of the Lord. This word is disturbing. I mean, can you imagine, like the first word You're to deliver that you've, the word of God given is this word. The guy that makes sure you eat every day. The guy that even instructed you on how to hear these words. The very first word given to you is you're to go to this man and tell him that God is going to destroy him and his children. And there will be no atonement for this. Oh, but you must have God not your idea of God not your comfortable God not your sentiment of God but God and the last thing I want us to see in terms of the meaning of this text is the renewal that's at the heart of this first first We have the transition at the beginning of the chapter, the obvious one, um, that the word of the Lord is rare in those days, and then last, here's the word of the Lord, and it goes from Samuel through Samuel to all of Israel. Um, This, by the way, is how renewal works. It's how God brings about his purposes, his good, renewing purposes on the earth, is he raises up someone to take this word, to speak it. To speak it faithfully. Um, So so husbands and fathers, do you want renewal in your family? Then take up this word and speak it. Do you want renewal in your own life, in terms of your own um, engagement with God? Then there is no avoiding the reality. You must take up this word and read it and pray it and believe it and cling to it. Do we want God to renew our city, that he would... See our city filled with life and renewal and reformation and revival. That those who are dead in their sins will be made alive. Do we want that? There's no getting around the the central and beginning task of taking up this word and declaring it. This is how God has acted and renewed and restored and brought revival over and over and over again throughout the whole of church history. And there's there's no other way around it. This word must be read and preached and counselled and declared in all of its craggy difficulties, in all of the ways that it's disturbing, in all the ways that it unsettles. Um, maybe most in the places where it unsettles and offends. This word must be read and believed and treasured and declared, and it fire burning out of control transforms everything it touches. This word is the heart of renewal. You see how this renewal begins to take place. uh, You see at the beginning in verse 15, Samuel lay until morning so he doesn't rush and wake up Eli. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Um, I I don't think this this little detail is just thrown in. and of was just to fill in, kind of you needed like a certain number of words for this paper to turn in. Um, uh, but, but rather, this, this detail is given because um, the, the place, the way that God had established this covenantal worship is that the word of the Lord lay in the, the innermost sanctuary of the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies. It was there in the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, that word was to be, de- um, to be carried by the priests and, and unleashed and revealed and spoken and declared and taught. Um, to the people. In other words, it was supposed to start here and move out from there um, through uh, through the priests back into the people. And Samuel, on here, this new morning dawning on Israel, begins that renewal. That renewal that will come first as a judgment against Eli's house by opening the doors of the house of the Lord, so that the word of the Lord might go out again. And last, this beginning of renewal, this last thing I I pray that we would see and understand. Um, The beginning of this renewal, this, this thing that will lead everyone to have tingling ears, this thing that people are going to marvel at, this... Um, this time when there is a drought of the word of the Lord and therefore there is no vision of God and people do not know him, Um, to to where we begin to see the fruit of this renewal, the start of this renewal, as the word of Samuel comes to all of Israel, it it begins with judgment. This, This is how God begins to give new birth to the people of God in his time he brings his judgment first against the house of the lord he brings his judgment first against those who have flipped worship upside down have made it something that it's not but but the purpose of the lord in the midst of all of this is ultimately to bring his word to bear on all of Israel, that there might be life again, that there might be the coming of a king who would reign forever again, that there might be established a tabernacle, um, not just a tabernacle, but a temple, and a temple ultimately that will um, become the beginnings of this temple, a temple that will fill the earth and is not built by human hands. And it all begins with a terrible and horrific word of judgment. A young man, a young boy, even who faithfully takes that word without blinking, delivers that word faithfully. Think about that progression for a second. It's a, the renewal of, the, uh, of, of all things. Ultimately, first and second, second same a point forward to the coming of Jesus, the establishment of the church, and the filling of the world um, with the people of God and the nations gathered and discipled under the reign and the rule of Jesus. That's where all of this is headed. And Where does it begin? It begins with the prayers of a mother. Begins with a young boy in a terrifying situation. Receiving the word of the Lord and faithfully delivering the word of the Lord. Delivering a word that would have been horrific and terrifying to deliver and to hear. And through that faithfulness in the midst of judgment comes all the work of God to make all things new. So may you hear the word, may you receive the word, may you trust the word, may you speak the word. May your life be built on the coming of the word of the Lord and may you come to this word and see God. Marvel at God, worship God and obey God. Let's pray and prepare for communion.